Hey everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. Today I'm talking with comedian and musician Steve Gerard, who just moved to New York City from Chicago, and he also changed his name to Steve Malden. As an artist, how do you know when to make a big move like that? And what is it like when you're getting older and you're still chasing your dream? How do you know what's the right next move? We're going to talk about this and lots, lots more on today's Music Therapy. everybody, welcome to Music Therapy. I'm Jessica Risker. I'm a musician based here in Chicago, Illinois, and I am also a licensed clinical professional counselor. Music Therapy is a podcast that talks about music, mental health, creativity, music careers, all kinds of stuff. If you're new to the show, welcome. Please visit musictherapypodcast.com for upcoming events. We do live shows. We've got old episodes up there. And if there's one thing you can do for the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us a ton to get the word out about the show. Today, I am super excited to share a conversation I had with comedian and musician Steve Gerard, who changed his name to Steve Malden as he just moved to New York City from Chicago. It was really great to have this conversation with him when I did because I caught him right when he moved. So he's just in the middle of this transition and starting out on this next chapter of his life. I really struggled to think of a title for this episode because I really couldn't distill it down. We cover so much ground in this conversation. We talk about social media, moving to New York City, getting older and and pursuing your dreams, your artistic dreams. We talk about the love-hate relationship with social media, deciding to move to New York City from Chicago, what it's like to get older, keep pursuing your dreams, comedy versus music. Steve does both, and so we have a really great conversation about that. Drugs, alcohol, all of that and a lot more. I really love this conversation. There's so many great nuggets in here. Steve is really thoughtful. He's super funny, and I'm really excited to share it with you. Steve's musical project is called Sofas, and we're going to hear some music from Sofas a little bit later. First, here's one of my songs. Someone told me lately I had big dick energy for putting one of my own songs at the top of every episode, which I I thought was pretty funny. But here we go. Something about this episode made me want to share one of my oldest songs. It's very raw, but I've always liked it. It's called Sunshine Surprise, and it's off my album, The Basement Tracks, One Foot Out the Door.
right, that was my song, Sunshine Surprise, off the basement tracks, One Foot Out the Door. And now, let's turn to my conversation with Steve Malden. Oh, there you are. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Can you see me? Can you hear me? Yep. How's my background? (laughs) Are you in a car? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I decided to uh, drive for this one. No, I'm sitting in front of my window that I just figured out how to open up. It took a week to figure out how to open this window, but I figured it out. It's hard to see it. Are there, is there curtains? See the the black abyss? Yeah. Hold on, wait, maybe. Is wait, that New York? On. That's New York for you. <laughs> hold on, let's see, hold on. Get there. So, under the curtain. Look at this whole thing here. Yeah, let's see it. This is so. There were three plants here when I arrived, uh-huh. um, and I had a plant. Actually, it was a really hard time in my life. I was struggling, and I had this plant that I took home, and. I slowly, it was like half dead and I nursed it back to health and it, it like nursed me back to health, if that makes sense. So I, I considered myself sort of a green thumb, you know, um, but the last three plants I've had have all died. So these plants were bequeathed by the previous renter? They were just here, yeah. And so I watered, um, I watered them and... I don't, are you a plant person? Yeah. Jessica? Mm-hmm. You are? Right here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I watered them and, you know, like they say that plants die because of uh, overwatering. Uh-huh. So I watered them because they were bone dry and I watered them and then I figured I'd wait a week and do it again. But luckily today I checked and they were bone dry again. So what do you think? What kind of plants are they? I'm going to just, I really actually do. What if I just completely like, um, turn the podcast into you telling me how to take care of it? <laughs> Hang on. Let's see here. Okay. Here's one. That looks like a succulent. You probably don't want to overwater that one. Okay. But like, I mean, the thing is like, what does it mean when, when the soil, like, cause you should, you do like a thumb, halfway down, right? And then if you feel moisture, then you don't water? You know, I always, I always overwater. I love my plants too much. I don't do well with succulents. Yeah. I I think it depends on the plant. Okay. Yeah. They're all versions of that. So they're really high up. So I'll just, I'll keep you posted. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. Well, well, thank you for being on the show tonight. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of the show and a fan of you, so I feel honored to be here. So I always ask everybody the same first question, which is, how often do you water your plants? No, I always ask them, what does a typical week look like for you these days? So I, um, I just moved to um, New York from uh-huh. Chicago, and so I moved, I lived in, I moved Okay, so I'm from, I see that Nikki Nolan and my brother Rob have joined. And Nikki um, can probably, can people also, can other people talk or no, just me? <laughs> they can't talk, but they can comment. Okay. Well, Nikki, weigh in here. Um, and Rob too, but Rob lives in D.C. now. But so I, we lived in a town called Bucky's Town, Maryland. And it was a small, and I looks like my mom just joined too. Hi, Mom. Um, And so, and I just felt like I needed a big city. And um, at the time, I had a girlfriend. The first time I ever fell in love was with, uh, I fell in love with this girl named Erin. And she um, went away to college and I was stuck in this town. And I was like, I got to get out of here, you know? And so we're still friends, me and Erin. And I moved away to Chicago, sort of just kind of on a whim. And um, that was when I was 19. 
And over the last like three or four years, I felt like I'd done everything I could do in Chicago and I was just ready to try something else. And I always wanted to live in New York and um, I almost moved to New York right before the pandemic. And so I dodged a bullet there because it would be terrible to move to a new city and then just sit in your apartment for a year. Um, so I waited. And then when the pandemic started lifting, I was like, okay, now's the time to, to, to do it. And I'm very lucky. I have a wonderful job and, and an amazing boss and uh, a couple amazing bosses and they let me relocate. Um, would so that I'm, have been a possibility before the pandemic, do you think? Perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. But I think like most people who are either listening or just everyone in the world, like I've really reevaluated my life and what I wanted to do. And um, so when things started coming back, I was like, I definitely need to shake things up. So getting back to your original question of what is an, what does a week look like for me? This I'm literally today is week one. I just celebrated my one week anniversary. So that's great. Yeah. So basically it consists of me, um, holding on for dear life <laughs> throughout the day, being really um, kind of in culture shock because New York is so different. I mean, I'm lucky that I lived in Chicago and I, I sort of have a set of city skills, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still, I remember like day one driving in, there were all these weird fateful things that happened. Like there's no parking anywhere in New York. Um, and there was, for some reason, just a spot right in front of the apartment where I was moving in. You know, there's been a couple of those things. Um, like, if I could just throw another one out there, I, I was like, okay, I moved out here. I didn't really have any possessions. I have an air mattress. And I was like, okay, over the next few months, I'll save my money and buy some stuff. Um, but I had no idea that, that there is amazing stuff just on the street. I already have most of the things I wanted that I just picked up off the street. So that's part of my week too, or at least uh, that's been part of the first week is just wandering around and, and finding things. And today I went down and I was literally, no joke, I'm not religious, but I do think that there's some guiding hand uh, in the world. And I went, I was literally like, okay, I was looking up desks because I don't have a desk and I'm working remote. So I was looking up desks to buy and I go downstairs and there is a freaking perfect desk in the trash can. This was two hours ago or, or, <laughs> where, or on the street. Where is it? Can we see it? Yeah, I'm, I'm um, here. Hold on. Look at this desk. Oh, <laughs> no. There it is. Can you see it? Wow. So you, you must have gotten rid of all your stuff and moved there. Very light. Oh, yeah, I came, um, I drove out with just a car. Um, I drove, well, if I, uh, is this how these are supposed to go? I feel like I'm not doing it right. You're doing you great. You asked me about how, what does my week look like, and I'm You're, you're doing great. Week. This is a okay. free conversation. So my friend, um, a wonderful friend named Celine, agreed to drive out here with me because she has some friends here too. And this is another, like, hand of God kind of a thing. We had a, uh, her Toyota or Honda Fit, she took it in for work and the radio wasn't working. So we called the dealership and they were like, hey, um, we can give you the code to fix the radio, but also your car was recalled a couple of years ago for a faulty drive shaft. And had we not, had the radio not stopped working, like we could have potentially driven across the country with mm -hmm. a faulty drive shaft, you know? So it was like, these things were sort of guiding guiding me along the right path. Um, and so we got a rental car and did a one-way rental. And that worked out too, because we got a, a bigger car and I was able to fit everything into um, the bigger rental car, the bigger rental car. So, yeah. So you, okay, so let's, let's establish you a little bit. What, first of all, what do you do for your day job? So I work at a college. I work at Columbia College. Um, it's been my only uh, grown-up job my whole adult life, um, and it's the best job ever. Um, I work with cool uh, art high school students, and I tell them about the school, and if they want to come, I talk about how they get in and all of that. So I work in higher ed. Okay, got it. And so you are also a comedian and a musician. 
Yeah. So um, I moved, you know, when I, I mentioned earlier, I moved to, cause I just wanted to be in a big city, but I always had aspirations of doing something creative and, um, you know, I, I always liked joking around and, um, I always liked making music. And so I, I just kind of, I, I did comedy pretty seriously for the first few years and then I got into a band and that got kind of serious. So I shifted over to that and then the band kind of broke up and I shifted back to comedy and then I got a little bit sick of that. And now I'm kind of shifting back to music. So. Okay. Okay. You know, you're, you are one of my favorite Chicago, I can't say it anymore, but Chicago comedians. Thanks. Uh, and whenever I, multiple times when I've talked to other comedians who they like, they'll say Steve Gerrard. Oh yeah. Thank you. That's really nice. Um, so you said earlier that you felt like you had done everything you wanted to do in Chicago. What, what were those things? You know, there's uh, Chicago, first of all, I don't mean to disparage it at all. It's the best. I mean, like, I, I literally wish that, uh, you know, life wasn't um, such that you had to, like, challenge yourself. Because I just felt like I knew it so well. Um, and I was, you know, I would do the big shows. Because um, there's only so many shows to do. And I was doing those shows um, with relative frequency you know and it, and it just it just didn't i just needed some big new thing um so yeah i, I just felt like i had come to the end you know it, it's sort of uh hard to explain but you know it's like a soul thing i just felt like i needed something new and it only took a couple of days being here to realize that i was 100 percent right because I mean, like all of my um, like neural pathways are like lighting up like a Christmas tree because there's this is all new stuff and uh-huh. um, yeah. So I, I loved Chicago. I just felt like I had done everything I could there. If that makes sense. Did you feel like you had outgrown it? Not grown the comedy scene or the where, where you could go with your comedy there? Here. Yeah, yeah. I felt like I had. Um, yeah, I, I just felt like I was doing, uh, I felt a little stagnant, I guess is the best way to put it. And um, I was just ready to shake it up. So I, uh, I was able to do it. And, and also I'm, I'm older than I look, because I know I look great. I look young. Um, but that was a joke. But, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, like I'm 38. So I'm 39 now. I just had a birthday and I was like, I, it's just what, you know, like a bucket list. Like I have to, Mm -hmm. I can't be 80 and being like, what if I would have done the New York thing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Have you gone out yet? Um, I have, I, uh, I haven't done any creative, um, outings. I haven't done any open mics or anything, but I have some friends here. Um, I have, uh, a guy I played in a band with for a couple of years here. I saw him on Saturday. My best friend's little brother was here last night. So, yeah, I was surprised at um, how much social activity has already started happening. And and obviously, I know you know this, but tons of people come to New York from Chicago. So there's also that music and comedy community here that I can uh, rely on. Um, what part so. of New York are you in? Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Although I, it's very like I, I keep saying it wrong, and, and people are like Brooklyn. You're in. There's a. They're, they're, they're like what? That's not Brooklyn. That's uh, what's the other one? Bushwick or something. I, but I think it's Brooklyn. It says Brooklyn on the Google Maps. I think and Bush, that Bushwick's cool. part of Brooklyn, right? It's that's the thing I don't understand. I guess. Well, I just learned that now from you. Don't count on me. Don't listen to me. Am I supposed to be asking you questions too? No. No, this is all about you. My mom is listening right now and she's going, he's not asking her anything. (laughs) This this is like a really bad first date. (laughs) If if your mom has any questions, mom, I encourage you to comment them and I'll ask them. We'll put them on the spot. (laughs) Um, My mom. Yeah. Okay. So let's see. We We have a little bit of a list here of things to... 
talk about getting older. You talked about that. Anything more you want to say about getting mm. older? You know, okay, since this is a music podcast, um, I, I, I'm because I thought about this earlier and I was like, I knew we were going to talk about getting older. And I was like, well, it's a music podcast. Like, it's really annoying when um, someone quotes their own lyric or something. But I did write a lyric, and I'm, 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 so I'm going to do that now. <laughs> I did write a lyric once that I thought was really true, which was, uh, my knees aren't what they used to be, no good. And then the line that really relates to what you just asked is, uh, I'm getting older than I ever thought I would. So it's like, I just never thought that I would even be 30, let alone almost 40, if that makes sense. So how does it feel to be almost 40? I don't know. I, I think I'm pretty good at transcending it and just realizing that everyone, every 22-year-old is going to be a 39-year-old, you know? <laughs> That's a way to kind if of they're lucky. feel better about it. Yeah, if they're lucky. Oh, exactly, if they're lucky. If they're lucky. Um, and something that I definitely do believe is that if I died tomorrow, you know, knock on wood, like I would be pretty happy with what I did with, you know, the time I've had on earth, you know, I haven't had any tremendous commercial success or anything, but I do feel like I've rooted things out of myself that I've wanted to get out. Um, like what? As, oh, as I'm sure, like, I'm, I'm sure, cause how long have you been, I'm going to ask you a question, but I think it'll relate. How long have you been writing songs? Um, probably seriously for about 12 or 13 years now. Exactly. Right. So it's like, if you listen back to your year one, two, or three lyrics, I mean, I don't mean to, to make assumptions, but when I do that, I'm just mortified um, at the things that I thought were poetic and good. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, so that is one thing I like about getting older is that I'm, I feel like I'm refining uh, what, how I want to express myself. Um, so I feel like art is a way to to reconcile yourself with getting older. Cause you're like, well, if my craft is going along with me, then I can at least feel like I'm doing like, you know, like there's, there's some um, productivity to getting older. If that makes sense. Is it a con kind of a consoling thought? At least, at least my, yeah. at least I'm getting better at what I'm doing. Yeah. It might be delusion. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, I think this is Tyler. He's saying, no, that's, I, that's I, David Jones. Oh, I feel mortified. Well, that, you know, Dave, like that too. I mean, it's not just with music. It's, it's like, um, cause Jessica, do you do comedy too? Or <laughs> no. Okay. No. Um, cause I know that your, your husband, Dave, uh, who's a great guy. I, one of my best conversations was, I didn't know him at all. We did a show together and we just stood, he was whole, I remember he was holding a piano and I, I was having so much fun talking to him that I wasn't even registering that he was holding this heavy piano um but i know he kind of dips in and out and does music and, mm -hmm. and some comedy stuff too yeah um, yeah he does musical comedy davidyoutz.bandcamp.com <laughs> yes um so i was always uh pretty intense about having a, a clear separation between like i, I don't want to go up with a guitar and play like a joke song i i want like it to be separate which causes some confusion you know for people who watch my comedy because i remember this guy ed towns who's a great chicago com uh, comedian he he's part of the cysk which is the show i did right before i left and that was actually one of the reasons uh when i knew it was time to go because i did really well you know with all modesty i did really well on that show and it wasn't like the time you know, five years ago that I did it. I, I, I just didn't have enough, like, it didn't thrill me as much as I wanted it to. Cause, so I was like, all right, it's, it's good that I'm leaving. And that's um, comedians you should know, right? Yeah, comedians yeah. you should know. Yeah. So Ed Towns, I did a music show, but it was at a comedy place, a comedy uh, show. And he comes up and he, and he was like, man, what? He just was kind of like, what, what were the joke? Like, what was the joke there? Like, it was like, <laughs> Or he was like, I kept waiting for you to like, you know, go up on the roof and throw the guitar off or, or something like that. And, and that's because, you know, he's watched me for years do this kind of absurd comedy character. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel like music is a way for me to, to get uh, away from that sort of slapsticky character that I've been doing forever and be genuine.
So you another bullet point we talked about was comedy versus music. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, are you, what are you thinking of there? Uh, uh, my mom says I love your early lyrics. Well, you're a little biased, Mom. Let me just say <laughs> one of the most embarrassing lyrics, the one that I think about every day. I go, calm down your panicking. They're not all as fake as mannequins. Like how that's the worst lyric I've ever <laughs> written. And, I, and at the time, I was like, that is so profound, you know? Um, but it's so bad. <laughs> um, but like I was kind of saying earlier, comedy versus music, you know, um, like to Dave's point, I know he was goofing around, but that's like, I'm just kind of obsessed with that refinement process of if, if I would read, cause I like to write little absurd stories. And if I read the ones from six months ago and then read the ones that I would write today, you know, I, I would be kind of embarrassed of the ones from six months ago. Um, just because I worked pretty hard to kind of develop my voice and, um, so it's a hard thing to come to terms with, you know, like whatever I'm doing now, I'm not going to be happy with, uh, <laughs> you know? Okay. Maybe. I mean, I can, I can relate to that and appreciate that. But as somebody who reads the stories that you wrote, I can tell you that I love the stories that you wrote six months ago. So that maybe <laughs> not, you know, you're being harder on them than the people yeah. who enjoy them. I appreciate that. It's also too like you, you read like an interview with Tom York, not that I'm comparing myself to Tom York, but he's like humiliated by OK Computer. You know what I mean? Like he's like, I'm so embarrassed by that album. And really? it's, every, it's everyone's like favorite album. And he's like, ugh, when I hear that, I leave the room, you know? So it's like, <laughs> or, or like, you know, if you showed me a song, I'd be like, wow, that's amazing. And I would never hear maybe like a flat note or something that you were hearing, if that made if that. Totally. Yeah. No, I think, I think, uh, you know, I think artists have to just always keep that in mind that you're going to be more critical of your stuff than somebody else. And then you, one thing I will say though, is like, I do kind of think it's a, a little bit of a curse to feel compelled to just, uh, always be trying to make stuff, but I'm old enough now, as we talked about before to know that, like, I mean, you can't, I'm sure you feel this way. Like, it's just like, if you don't play your guitar and sing or write a story or write a joke or whatever, you start to feel kind of bad, you know? Mm -hmm. And and that, of course, is great, but it's also a little bit of a bummer because I'm like, man, I wish this feeling would just go away so I could, you know, go relax, a mortgage broker and make six figures and, you know, get married. But the only thing I care about is making, um, is making things, which sounds pretentious but i'm not being like disingenuine disingenuous yeah so do you are there any career goals attached to that or do you like making things just for the sake of making things i love that question i've you know i think everyone is like if i could go back would i you know try to be like an actor and and just do comedy and um i wish i had more career ambitions but i I don't really care that much. I mean, I do. I, it would be great to only have to do this. There are some, like on a Saturday when I wake up and I like just drink drink coffee and um, can work on my stuff. And I'm like, what if this is all I had to do? But you know, I was raised in a hardworking family and I had a job at an early age, and so I think that that was sort of um, that the idea that you have to work it was put into me and and. I also am annoyed at people who are like, I just want to do my art, to be honest with you. Uh, I really don't. I, I've, I'm like, well, you can do that and also, you know, be a teacher or, <laughs> you know, like, you know, that whole American thing of like, just do what you like. And I, I don't know. I've always kind of had some issues with that idea because it's like, yeah, but, you know, you could also be doing what you like and contributing in a real way. Not that, you know, obviously, um, art doesn't help people and change their lives and stuff. And if you're making stuff that people like, it's going to help them. But if that makes sense. Yes. But yeah. Actually, like kind of want you to clarify that a little bit more. Um, it's mm-hmm. not, not that I disagree with you actually, but you know, why does it, can you clarify why that feels, why that rubs you the wrong way when people say that? I, I think it's twofold. I think, 
the main reason is because I don't have that instinct, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm jealous of people. And, and we both know Megan Stalter. I'm not jealous of Megan, but it's like some people are able, like, if you can do what you want and that's all you have to do. I think, I think part of it is me just coming to terms with the fact that I haven't been able to yet, you know? So there's, it's sort of like, you know, a, a um, it's reactionary or, or uh, compensatory. Like, yeah, you should have a job, you know? Of course I would way rather be, you know, touring and just recording music, but um, I haven't been able to. So I think part of what I'm saying is sort of fake. <laughs> um, and the other part is like, I mean, you know this, like, and I, I might get in trouble for saying this, but um, I mean, there's so many people who are doing it and they probably shouldn't be. And I'm just going to say I'm old and I'm old and curmudgeonly, like, especially with comedy. I mean, my God, like there's, it's just such a, a land of uh, trash. God, you said it, not me. <laughs> I mean, it's brutal. It's hard. It's hard to like watch. And you're just like, this is not what you should be doing. But then you're like, well, I'm here with this person doing it too. Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm getting into dangerous territory here. What no, if I, no, what I, if think I, I call out 50 people by name? <laughs> Would that be good for the podcast? <laughs> also, the, uh, the trash comment was re referenced to uh, recurring jokes he makes online. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You know, that track, so I make joke, probably, I don't know who's in here, but most of the people here have seen the joke, but just calling everything trash and calling Chicago comedy trash. That was one of the reasons when I realized, like, I need to get out of here. Because I was, like, literally spending time thinking of a joke about how to call everyone <laughs> trash. <laughs> what is this? Who is this for? <laughs> 70 people. <laughs> no one else would get it. But it has... The people I've told that to, they're like, it's a fun bit, though. It's a fun recurring bit. but It is a fun bit, and, you, and a lot of people can participate in it. So, okay, it sounds like to me when we, like, dig a little deeper, you do have career aspirations. Oh, totally, yeah. I mean, I am here, like, make no mistake, like, I'm definitely here to, like, make a run at something. Yeah. Um, to just, like, that was the thing about the CYSK set. It went really well, and I'm like, I would ra way rather have had a mediocre set in front of perfect strangers, like in another city. Um, if that makes sense. Like, I just was like, I, I mean, I want to try, I'm going to see. Um, and I have a friend in Ben who is a really great comedian and he's a really good musician too. And he told me this story once of like three or four years ago, he was telling this woman who was a comedian about how he does music and comedy. And he's like, he's now an organic farmer and he's really doing great at that. And she was like, honey, you need to pick a lane. And we talked about that. And I don't think she's wrong. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so I'm really going to take my time and think about how I want to spend my time here, whether it be performing comedy or music. But I already know that, like, as soon as I start going out and I can't say no to things. I don't know if you're that way, too. But, like, someone is like, hey, Jessica, you want to do a show in Schaumburg? And uh, we can't pay you, but we'll get your hotel. And you're like, mm, yeah. I don't know. Are you that <laughs> uh, Yeah, they got my hotel. Why not? Um, yeah. Okay, so I don't think we've discussed yet comedy versus music. Well, for me, it's all part, it's all like a, uh, it's a tree and there's branches. And it's, I've always looked at it as just lyricism and rhythm. Um I don't think comedy is that much different than music. I feel, I, I hate myself the way I'm talking right now, but, and the way that I've always done comedy is sort of musically, you know, it's just kind of, I don't stand up there and, and do jokes, you know, I kind of mess with the form and, and try to find like beats and mm -hmm. it's, it's rhythmic. And so for me, it's, it's really not that different than doing music um, other than the content and in music, the content is, I can be a little bit more serious um, and heartfelt. Um, embarrassingly so, I think. That's my one hang-up about the music I make. I'm like, ugh, it's too hard on the sleeve, but I, I can't do it any other way. So as far as like the expression of it, I don't, I don't see that much of a difference. Um, 
So, and a lot of my friends are like straight stand-ups. So they, you know, they have their 10 minutes and um, I have always admired people who can do that. But for me, it, I can't do it. And it's more about like, what is the song that we're playing up here tonight? And it won't be the same tomorrow or the next day, etc. In fact, my music, I would say, is way more like stand-up in the sense that it's the same. It's structured. Uh-huh. Whereas with stand-up, it was... I mean, towards the end, before the pandemic, I, I would just go up with almost nothing and see what happened, you know? Really? Uh, mm-hmm. And it was kind of a waste of time only because even if the show was really good, you're like, well, there's never going to be like a lady in the front who has like weird gloves on, you know, again. Like a lot of it was very specific to what was happening in the room. Uh-huh. And it felt like maybe I'm flexing that muscle or, or developing that muscle of like improvising, but... It also was like, who, like, there were 15 people here, you know, like, whereas a lot of the stand-ups that I know are, they have, like, their 10 minutes, and they, mm-hmm. they do it the same, they develop it. So, I don't know if that answers the question, but for me, there's not a huge difference. Um, I definitely like to perform music more than doing stand-up, though, because it, like, as I said before, you don't need that specific response of laughter, and you can just, you know... You can, and you can, I'm sure you know this, you can tell when people are paying attention. Um, and so, does it, you, you like doing music more than stand-up, or more than comedy? You mm-hmm. like performing more? Yeah, and there's this show in Chicago called Best Night Ever, and they were nice enough to, like, let me um, do every Tuesday in August, and there were five Tuesdays in August, and I got to do, I would open the show with music, and they would sell out every show. And it was, I mean, it was really affirming. Like, I just, and then the freedom there, too, is that you can make a joke, you know, between songs. Um, so I, I think I prefer music uh, to stand-up. Um, and, again, like, I've gone through phases where I did only stand-up and then music, stand-up. And I'm kind of doing both now, but we'll, we'll see what I feel like in a couple years. I don't know. So... Comedy versus music. What about comedy scene versus music scene? Yeah, well, the music scene, I think, is a little bit healthier and um, more grounded. And because the thing about music that I thought about is there is like a prerequisite, which is that you need to know how to play an instrument. Whereas with comedy, the only prerequisite is that you need to think that you're funny or have been told that you're funny. Uh-huh. Um, and I, I think that there's a brokenness to people who want to do art, of course. Um, not necessarily a bad thing, but with comedy, I, I just think, you know, some of the, it, it can be a lot. Like, you, you'll get some, some, some pretty broken folks. Um, and so I felt like it's just a little healthier doing music. Um, people are a little bit more level-headed and, and grounded. And, um, yeah, so... I, I liked the music. God, I feel like I'm saying all the wrong things. I mean, I love all of my comedy friends. Like, I had some of the best nights ever um, hanging out with comedians. But I, I liked the, the calm of, of the music scene a little bit more. And I, I found, like, when I was around comedians, I'm sure you know this, like, you just sort of get rep, you rev up to meet their love. Because the energy is really high and people, it's really competitive. And everyone's trying to say the funniest thing. Yeah, you hear that? And um, and so it's like really intense. Uh, whereas it's much more chill with folks who are doing music. So I hope, does that answer it? Yeah, 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 totally. So, okay, that kind of leads me to another bullet point, not drinking. Yeah. So, and I, you know, I've been really honest with my family about this. I'm just going to plug in my phone because I don't want it. That would be, what a disaster if it would die. <laughs> um, so let me do that. And here. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've been really upfront with everyone I know about drinking. And it was a kind of a thing where um, it took a long time to figure out that I'm not good at drinking, if that makes sense. Like, I, um, like I have friends who my brothers are kind of this way they they can kind of just drink for a whole night you never really notice a change in them Mm -hmm. um you know you might notice a little one but like with me 
I was trying to, I don't know what it was. I was trying to drown something that couldn't be drowned, you know, and then it was just too intense. And I, I, I've wrestled with this my whole adult life and I decided like, I just can't. So I didn't drink for two years and three months and that was really cool. And then I um, had some like heartache stuff and just the end of the pandemic and I started performing again. And I, I don't know why, it was just like one night, I literally remember the moment exactly. This woman was pouring wine because we we're at this show and they had like this open bar and she poured a glass of wine and there was a glass right next to hers. And I was like, can you pour me one? And she was like, yeah, and poured it. And I told myself, I was like, I'll have just this one, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was like four months ago. And then I kind of would get it together and then fall off. And um, it was never terrible, but I just am not good at it. Like, I don't know how to stop. Um, you know, you wake up and you're like, what did I on those really bad nights? You're like the, the next morning, you're like, what did I say? Like, what happened? Mm-hmm. And so I just was like, all right enough and again moving to new york was a a really good opportunity to just be like all right i'm leaving that in chicago and i and i have it's been really good so so you're you are sounds like committing to sobriety yeah yeah no drinking um i'm still kind of stuck on these nicotine vapes but that's the last one that i that i have to get rid of um and I really worry about those because you don't, we just don't, like, I feel like in five years, there's going to be all kinds of lawyer commercials. Like, did you vape? You know, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, call us because I, there's no way that it's not doing something horrible, but I don't know. Do you smoke? No. Mm, you never smoke cigs? I used to. I mean, it's, it's like literally every puff is like smoking a perfect cigarette. It, it, the, the, the technology is incredible. It's like, it's a main line of nicotine. You don't smell bad. You don't um, like have like a, a scratchy throat. It's, and it's easy to be like, oh, this isn't hurting me at all, but <laughs> it, it must be somehow. So that's my last big thing that I need to uh, get rid of. So what's, what's Kratom? I had to look up on Google. I had to practice my pronunciation on Google. Yeah. If it was Kratom or Kratom. I think it's Kratom, but I've also heard Kratom. So um, Kratom, actually, it's funny. I became friends with the uh, woman because I went in there so much who worked uh, at the CBD Kratom store. And I mean, I don't know if anyone in here wants to sound off about Kratom. It's one of those things, too, where like three years, I didn't know what it was. I'm not a weed smoker. I don't hang out and like buy weed stuff. But three years ago... My friend, Nikki Martin, who you might know, yeah, uh, we were in like a shop and he was like, I'm going to get some Kratom. And I was like, what's that? And it wasn't his fault. I was just like, and we, and he got a little bit um, and then like probably never got any more. And I got a little bit too. And it just, you know, tipped me into the terrible ocean that, that is Kratom. Like I couldn't, um, it's, 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 it's like a, an opiate. Um, kind of, and it's, I don't know if it's like a combination of an opiate and Adderall. So it kind of gives you this euphoric feeling, gives you a lot of energy. Um, it gives you a lot of, it like sort of reframes your negative thoughts so that you, they're not negative thoughts anymore. And I'm, I, I don't know if this person is in here, but so I became friends with a person at the Kratom store cause I went in there so much and we've chatted a little bit since I've moved to New York. And I'm off Kratom now, but I said, um, she sent me a message like, you know, uh, that like my, my other coworker quit because of ethical reasons. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I guess I'll see you at the law, in the lawsuit uh, in 10 years. So it, there's something sh- like, there's definitely a rational part of my brain that's like, this should not be uh, easy to get over the counter. Yeah. I mean, if you're a moderate person, I would say get some, have a really fun time. And then if you're the type of person who can do that and then not do it again for a year, it is really cool. It's cheap. But if you're like me, um, where you can't do things moderately, like stay away. We got a dark comment 
someone's nephew died, the black market kratom laced with fentanyl. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to do it, then make sure you go to a store because at least it's like right, semi-regulated there. I'm sorry to hear about your nephew, Art Gams. Yeah, that's awful. Things twisted here. They went a little, a little dark. But, I mean, it's real. Like, um, and I guess to extrapolate the discussion, like, I've thought a lot about how we all need things to get through the day. You know, and an experiment that I'm doing here is like, why can't reality be the thing? Like, why can't eating healthy and drinking water and exercising be the thing, you know? And I know that it can, but it's just, it's work. Whereas drugs and alcohol is like, you know, instantaneous. So what do you, you know, when you're drinking or doing Kratom or whatever, what part of your mind are you trying to change? You know, for me, it allows me to reframe the narrative of my own life. That's what what I would say um, it, it does to my thoughts where I'm like, okay, I'm not 38 and still working at the college and, you know, I'm actually doing really well. Like, you know, yeah, I have a day job, but I, but I'm a great comedian, you know, like, uh, it, it just, it, it gives you a way to sort of delude yourself. And maybe it's not delusional. Um, I'm pretty happy with my life, but it, it definitely gave me a sort of fake idea of what I was doing and how good the things that I was making were. Um, you know, everyone knows that story of like someone who smokes weed and then records a song and they're like, whoa. And then the next day they're like, Oh God, this is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So it was kind of like a constant um, version of that where I'm always like reframing the narrative of my life in a more positive light, if that makes sense. So are those negative thoughts pretty prevalent? Um, They're better now. I actually started doing some, um, I was very resistant to any kind of antidepressants for a long, long time uh, because you know, I was like, oh, they, you know, they kill your creativity and like they kill your sex drive and et cetera, et cetera. But I got a great new therapist. Um, her name's Allison Wolcott. She just started her own practice. And um, she was like, look, you, you need to try this. And so she got me to try it. And that was like um, probably five months ago. Uh-huh. And that, I mean, it does take like several weeks, but then it was like I still had the thoughts that dragged me down, but they weren't, it was like they were much more manageable, if that makes sense. Uh, I like to say less sticky. Sticky? Less sticky. They're kind yes. of easier to, easier to push them away. I love that. That's perfect. Yes, you're like, okay, but no. Like, you know, I want to share this because it really changed me. You know how, like, you'll see a meme or something and you're like, everyone makes fun of, like, memes and stuff. But sometimes you're like, oh, my God. Like, the meme will say, keep going. You're doing great. And you're like, you start crying. (laughs) Because it's, like, the exact thing you needed to hear in that moment. Uh But I read something the other day that was uh, someone wrote, I'm an 80-year-old man and all of the things I was afraid of never happened. And it just completely blew me away it was like oh right you know all these all this time we spend worrying about these things like most of them aren't going to you know transpire uh it's easier said than done to kind of shed that sort of thinking but 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 it was a it was a good line i've thought about it a bunch since did you have you found that taking the antidepressant has interfered with your creativity no not at all um I mean, hopefully not. You're like, you sure about that, buddy? I saw your last song. <laughs> no, I, you know, I actually, I, when I work with clients, I feel like I've, my relationship with medication has changed. I used to be much more anti and now I've seen how impactful and a positive way it can be for people. I mean, you have to figure out what's right for you, but um, to me, it feels more like if medication is appropriate for you and you find the right one, it doesn't change you. I think it lifts the barriers that were kind of preventing you from being you. So maybe if you have a lot of anxiety, it may lift the anxiety and you can kind of do things instead of working 
working with your anxiety all day long. I think it moves those things out of the way. Yeah. I also think there's sort of a blue collar. I I think it's sort of uh, indoctrinated into us, like this blue collar, like suffer through it feeling Uh of like, you know, I, I, cause I'm big into suffering. I, I do think that that's a big part of life. And I think if you can do it the right way, um, you can get a lot out of it. You know, it can give you perspective and it can make you appreciate the things that you have, but you're right. Like there are times when you're like, man, I'm like lift carrying a piano around all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I'd rather be carrying a trumpet, you know, like there's still a thing, but it's not just completely crushing my back, you know? Yeah. Um, also, here's another thing too about the drinking and there's like, this might be like, like the patriarchy, but for me, I always felt like less than a man, uh, if I wasn't partying, there was always something cool about being a disaster. You know, there's like that romantic, um, notion that is really dumb and problematic, but it was there nonetheless. I was certainly worried that I was like lame or less of a man because I wasn't, you know, because I, I, I didn't want to drink um, mm-hmm. or to take antidepressants would be to, uh, to yeah, to, to go against that thing that we're all supposed to do, which is just like grin and bear it, you know? Yeah. yeah. But, but I, I, I agree with you. I, I'm so glad I had this great therapist who, um, who finally convinced me to and pushed me to do it. Um, and, and I, I know that, that you're the therapist and I, I will say like, I had so many before this person. Um, and not that they were all bad. There was one, um, who was amazing, but she just had to, she like moved away. But I mean, finding a good one. Oh my God. Just like, and I, and like, I, I can text her, um, Occasionally, I, I definitely don't abuse the privilege, but she's amazing. Like, just I don't know how many people are listening, but you know, it really has made my life so much better having her, and then also having the the um, the medication. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, on the there's a couple more things I want to be sure to talk about um, before we end our conversation today. But on the topic of mental health, uh, the last bullet point I wrote down was social media. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was wrestling. I feel like, did we talk about this? We might've talked about this independently of this, but I mean, I don't know. I kind of want to know what you think of social media. I mean, uh, let me give an example. I, um, will feel lonely or not loved or something. And then I, my mind, it has trained itself to think of something, um, that might get like, likes on social media uh-huh. um and then you you do it and you feel that like rush of of like approval or everything's gonna be okay like, uh-huh. no one hates me everything's fine but then i have found similar to drinking or doing drugs that once that's worn off you know it's like you know it, it's not good like your eyes you want more um uh-huh. and then you start chasing it or i don't know i I wish I could have a healthy relationship with social media because it is a super effective tool if you want to be an artist, but I'm not very <laughs> good at separating it. Um, if that, if that makes sense. Like I, I can't just, I guess that's everyone though. Um, like my coworker who doesn't do content posts at all. Everyone is like, how many people are liking my posts? Even if it's like her two kids or if it's my like joke that I want everyone to think is funny, you know? Yeah. Um, are there, yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about social media and only a few of them are positive, but, uh, are there certain platforms that you have stronger feelings about? Well, for me, the big three are, I'll never get a TikTok. I know that I was like, I'm just done. Like, (laughs) even though many of my peers are doing it and finding great success, I mean, truly, um, my friend Lindsay Lucido has a legitimate fan base on TikTok, uh, and rightly so. I mean, I think it's cool that people can find the cool thing about social media is that, you know, you can 
get your stuff out to anywhere in the world. And but um, as far as um, one that I like more than than the others, I mean, Twitter for me is like a barren lands. It's like a battleground. Um, it's so hard. <laughs> like I so yesterday I went to a diner and I asked for a side of fruit and the woman was like, "What?" And I was like, oh, do you not have fruit? And she was like, I'll see what we have. And so she goes in the back. And then a man, not the woman, comes out a minute later with a banana on a plate and puts it in front of me. <laughs> and I was like, that's so funny. I'm going to, like, write that down. I'll take a picture of this banana. And then um, I posted it on Twitter. Uh, and I just hate how then I'm like, ugh, two likes. Ugh. <laughs> You know, but also Twitter is really hard. You know, I'm sure if I had posted that on Facebook, it would have done better. And so I always value them based on how easy it is to get responses and reactions and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I like Twitter the most because it's the hardest. Um, oh. And uh, I have this one tweet that I've been. So, you know, did you watch uh, The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan thing? I did not. Well, there's this constant theme of them going, if you wanted, if you, if, if you wanted Michael to do something, tell him he couldn't, you know? And so then, like, the comedy brain kicks in, and you're like, well, what about the opposite, you know? Like, if you tell me I can't do something, boy, I will then definitely not be able to, you know? Like, <laughs> so I literally, Jessica, spent, no joke, I've spent four days tweeting versions of this joke. And every time I open my phone 10 minutes later and it has one or zero (laughs) and I can't, I can't, it's, it becomes like an obsession. I'm like, I cannot give this up. I have to, I have, I know this can work, you know? (laughs) So I can become a little bit obsessed with it. Um, I definitely attach way too much of my self-worth to it, but, um, comparing? uh, comparing. Yeah. I mean, it is hard when you're like, Oh, you see like someone's in Hawaii with like their wife and two kids and you're like, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? Um, but what about other comedians? Another joke. That's maybe not as good. Totally. Yeah. I mean, with the, cause I think most people in here probably do comedy, but, um, like my brother and, uh, or my mother, any of my siblings, like I love seeing their posts cause they're clean and fresh. And it's just like, I love, oh, great. A picture of a garden or like a picture of like my nieces and nephews or something heartfelt. Um, Whereas with comedians, you know, yeah, there is that like, oh, that darkness and um, look how funny this is. And and irony is another huge part of it. Like I'm really trying to be less ironic as I get older, if that makes sense. Um, So I don't know. It's a really great question. Something I spend way too much time thinking about for sure. in a perfect world, I wouldn't have any social media or any phone or not to sound like a hipster, but um, it, it, my phone it gives me so much anxiety. I mean, I wake up in the morning and I open it and I'm just filled with dread. There's either way too many messages and I'm overwhelmed or there's none and I'm like, I'm pathetic. You know, it's like mm. I definitely can't separate it. it. It like hits me like a harpoon in my chest. Um, which is how I am about pretty much everything. So, well, let me let's let's not to abruptly change, but um, we'll close out at nine thirty. So I want to make sure we talk about your album. Yeah, um, and I know there's a, a specific song on there too. We can talk about the album. We can talk about the song. Yeah, um, that you had mentioned, which is uh, what the bullfrog said. But can yeah, can you tell us about the album? Yeah. So um, you know, when I was like twenty five or twenty six. I was in a band and we would go and we would spend so much money recording and I just never liked it. It would be perfect sounding and I just was never happy with it. So I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm big into like, if you want to learn how to do something, like if I wanted to learn how to, um, you know, ski, I would just throw myself into that, you know? So I was like, I'm going to learn how to record. And I was so bad at it for so long. Um, but I noticed that even the bad recordings that I was making, I liked really professional ones. So I'm 38 now, so I've spent probably like 12 years sort of refining recording. And I'm sure if you played the album for like an audio file, they'd be like, ugh, like listen to this. And 
and they'd find all kinds of things wrong with it. But I basically just record it the way I want until it sounds the way I want it to, uh-huh. which has been really satisfying. Um, and so I spent the quarantine um, just working on it and uh, recorded it all myself. And I did it at home and um, I got a good microphone. And I mean, all you really need is a good mic and a good interface and a decent uh, program and you're good, you know? Um, and so I, uh, it was really good to fill up my time while we were all mm-hmm. stuck at home and, and I, I finished it. And, um, and then I didn't listen to it for like six months. And then I was like, all right, I want to put it out there. And I, uh, listened to it after I'd not listened to it for six months and I was happy with it and then I mastered it and I picked a date and put it out. I don't want to waste time wishing for the river I should just be happy in the pond that I am in That is what the bullfrog always says But I'm getting pretty sick of listening to him if you wait for the time that is right, then you'll find As soon as it is gone is as soon as it arrives That's what the bullfrog said I guess he had a point or two I don't know, I guess I just don't like his face or something time thinking about my own life I just want to live and give it everything I have but I spent so much time living in my own mind you'd think I'd have to pay rent and in a way I guess I do it's always green when I mean blue I thought I had a point or two if you wait for the time that is right then it's wrong As soon as it arises, as soon as it is gone That's what the bullfrog said I guess he had a point or two I don't know, I guess I just don't like his face or something It's funny, last night I was at dinner with my my old friend and and he was like, his first question was, uh, he goes, hey man, that album, and I was like, yeah, and he goes, uh, he's like, uh, what did he say? He was like, are you happy with it? Or something like that. <laughs> Where I'm like, just say it's great. Don't. <laughs> don't. And then, I, and, then I, and then I'm like, yeah. And he goes, it's beautiful. And I'm like, next time lead with it's beautiful. Don't. <laughs> Where can people listen to the album? So it's just on Bandcamp right now. Um, sofas.bandcamp.com. And I really wanted to get my shit together and have it on Spotify and um uh, all the things, uh, Apple Music, and um, and I know I, I did that with a with a side project that I have called Crown Blue, which is on Spotify, um, and I did that with two wonderful female singers, Lucia Whalen and Jenna Gephardt. Um, but I didn't have t- I didn't just didn't have a chance to get it together. But I will soon, and I'll post about it. Well, yeah. Um, to all the listeners, please go check it out, um, Steve. I know that. I'm rooting for you. I know everyone's rooting for you to, you know, get out Make there. Make it big. Kill, kill it, New York. Uh, yeah. And definitely miss you being here in Chicago, but um, sounds like it was the right move for where you are. It sounds like an adventure. I'm, I, honestly, I, I can definitely say this, Jessica. Like, it's one of those times you're like, oh, it, just everything. The desk. Everything is just falling into place. Like, I went to a coffee shop, and I'm like, was this the right thing to do? And then, you know how they ask for your name? Mm-hmm. Um, so I was sitting there, and they go, Steve, to the next drink. It wasn't me, but it was another person named Steve. And I'm like, that was weird. And then two minutes later, they go, Steve? Another Steve. <sighs> right as I was thinking, like, was this the right thing to do? Like, Steve, Steve. It was like a voice from above or something. The but, so there's been tons of stuff like that yeah. over the last week. And, yeah, I'm really excited. So That's awesome. Um, I really, I, this is an awesome thing that you're doing, Jessica. I, I, uh, I'm going to tell everyone about it, and, and I love it. Lately, I've been trying to shoot the breeze in a way that demonstrates perfect ease, like I did when I was at the age of 20.
been trying to shake the trees Make a coconut fall down onto the ground Then I'll fall down too onto my knees To try to open it But I ain't got no knife Man, story of my life It's nice to always have that phrase And say it every time Something doesn't go my way The wheels are off the wagon So how's it keep on rolling? It's questions like this that keep me up in the day What do you say we go to Cancun? I hear the sky there is always pretty blue The wheels are off the wagon So how's it keep on rolling? It's questions like this that keep me up in the day What do you say we go to Cancun? I hear the sky there is always pretty blue Okay, that was Shake a Coconut by Sofas off the album A Sled with No Snow Sometimes. You can listen to more of the album at sofas.bandcamp.com. I want to thank Steve for his conversation, for his time, uh, for making me laugh, and definitely wish him luck. And please go follow him on Twitter, on Instagram, because he is a, a shining beacon in the dark hole that is Twitter and uh, social media. And I hope you guys are doing well and hanging in there. Thank you guys for listening. Visit musictherapypodcast.com. Please subscribe and rate us. Music Therapy is hosted by Jessica Risker, produced by Sullivan Davis, and engineered by Joshua Wentz in Chicago. Hope you guys are doing well, and see you next week.